Welcome to another episode of John's Comic Corner. On this episode, we have a really special guest, the voice actress of Wonder Woman herself, Elizabeth Kelly. She's joined by one of our writers, John Petrie, as they discuss Fable A Thousand One Nights. You may notice that something's a little bit different now. We've changed our name to The Cruelest Month. This is to gear up for our new series called The Cruelest Month. We're also doing a Kickstarter to fund the next series. You can find it on Kickstarter at The Cruelest Month. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our social media handles have also changed to at The Cruelest Month. But our Patreon is currently the same. You can find us at The Superhero Podcast. Finally, before we get started, due to some unforeseen technical difficulties, there is a slight echo on John's voice. We apologize for the sound quality. But the episode content is fantastic. Enjoy the episode. Alrighty, so hello everyone. Welcome to Comics Corner. My name is John. Uh, this is part of the behind the scenes content on Don't Sue Us Please podcast. Um, and we essentially talk about comic books. I talk to our very special guests. I find out what they like, what they don't like, things that I think that they may find interesting, and I recommend a book. And then we read it, we talk about it, they tell me what I got right what I got wrong, so fingers crossed for this one. Um, even though we are only on audio, I am telling you that I am wearing my Wonder Woman hoodie in honor of our special guest today, the amazingly brilliant actor, the wonderfully talented writer, and the all-around awesome person, Elizabeth Kelly. Welcome! Hi, thank hey. you! Yay! Thank you. <laughs> and the reason that I'm wearing the Wonder Woman shirt, just in case you only listen to the behind the scenes and you haven't yet caught up on it. Um, Elizabeth Kelly plays Wonder Woman in our four part Wonder Woman series, which was the debut of Don't Sue Us, Please. Yeah. Yeah. Which was very exciting. <laughs> which we actually recorded before um, Pandemageddon 99. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like forever ago. I think it yeah. was forever ago. It, it Easily forever and a half. Yes. Yes. Um, so welcome. Thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Now I didn't go the easy route for this. I didn't, I was going to just recommend some Wonder Woman stuff, <laughs> but after, um, after going back and forth in emails, I have to admit, I'm a little nervous about this one because this was a dark horse choice. Mm. I was sort of like, I love this book. I don't always recommend books that I love. I recommend the books that I think people will love because that's much more important um, to me. Um, but we read, I'm, I don't know why I'm pretending that we're on camera. I'm just going to hold it up anyway. Ooh, uh, Fables, 1001 Nights of Snowfall, written by Bill Willingham with lots of different artists, including so Brian Boland, John Bolton, Mark Buckingham, uh, James Jean, William Michael Kaluta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I left your name out, I'm sorry. You're a genius artist. I just <laughs> didn't want it to be an hour of me um, talking about it. So, um, Elizabeth, let's talk a little bit about your, tell me a little bit about your comics background. What oh have my you read and what gosh. have you not read? Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, I've not read most, right? Because comics are a thing comics to me remind me of cleaning 
you know, you think you only have like a few things to do. You're like, oh, I just have to like dust and vacuum and like scrub a toilet. And then you start cleaning and you're like, oh my gosh, every inch of this is covered and it's going to take me a thousand years and there's no way I'm ever going to get through it. Um, so comics to me has always been one of those things where um, the more you learn, the less you know, <laughs> or you realize the less you know. So, I, you know, I always feel like a fledgling and I always feel like um, I know there's so much more great content out there. So like I'm pretty, I mean, pretty basic, you know, like my dad was a big Superman guy. So I started on Superman when I was very little. Um, but we're Swedish, so my dad is also a big Thor guy, so Thor came into our lives in a very prominent way very early on. Um, my husband's a big Superman guy and a big Marvel guy. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded with people who like comics and like to talk about comics and, and stuff. And, um, but I do, I think, I do like kind of the more out-of-the-way stuff. I like more of the novella style. Like if I'm going to pick something to like curl up with and read, it's usually, you know, in the mouse territory, in the Watchmen territory, something that's a little bit more sort of like novel heavy um, category. But yeah, I mean, I think what my first trip to Comic-Con was maybe a decade or so ago. And I think that really, I think the booths blew my mind just because of all the independent comics. I think that was something I didn't know existed. So, you know, I don't know. So <laughs> it's one, I'm one of those people that I, no matter how much I read or how much I think I read, I always feel like a novice because I just know the vast ocean of material that's out there. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody feels that way. I've <laughs> been reading comic books since 1976, yeah. um, which was 10 years before I was born. Um, so, Obviously, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, mm, me too, it's his yeah. Cheekbones. <laughs> Everything hangs off these cheekbones. Um, no, I've been reading comics for a long time. I've worked in comic shops. Uh, I've worked for comic publishers. And I still never feel like I know enough. Yeah. 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 It's so overwhelming. It's pretty um, crazy. Yeah. Um, and normally I do this at the end, but I'd like to do it now just to kind oh. of. Um, uh, ricochet, I guess, that's not <laughs> sure. the word, off of what you said, which is if you ever are unsure about comics, if you're not sure what to read, if you think mm -hmm. like you can't get into it, you can get into comics, go to your local comic shop. Absolutely. Talk to the booksellers and the clerks there. They're working in the store because they love comics and there is nothing that they will love more than recommending things to you. Totally. That is the wonderful thing about the comic community is you can walk in with zero knowledge and you just walk up to anybody in, you know, a polo shirt and they will point you at something. They'll be like, because there is, li I mean, uh, like you were saying, or I mean, well, I think we'll get into about fables. Like it's just it, it, the gamut is so huge. I think there's nothing you can't find in comic book form in one way or the other. So. Yeah. Um, in addition to working in comic shops, I've also worked in bookstores for, I don't know, 30 years of my life. And to be honest, the first questions that I asked in a bookstore were exactly the same first questions that I asked in a, in a comic book store. It's always like, what kind of genre are you interested in? And we go from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
All right, so let's throw a little history onto Fables. Um, yeah. Fables wa was a DC Vertigo comic. Um, it was launched in 2002, uh, went for 150 issues, wow. uh, written by Bill Willingham, art by Mark Buckingham. Um, and then uh, this one that we're talking about, The Thousand and One Nights of Snowfall, was actually published as a hardcover in October of 2006. Um, it is a series of short stories about different fables and different fairy tales. Um, so let's, shall we just jump into it? Sure. Okay. Um, so I have to say, one of the reasons that I chose this, one of the reasons I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and say this one is because it does have a fair amount of prose in it. Yeah. Um, which I personally love, um, it, it almost reminds me of a picture book. Yeah, a yeah. lot. Mm -hmm. Like it does start with, with the fables, um, with a sort of fairy tale picture book type of thing. Um, and fun fact, just so uh, <laughs> we know, um, there's two things about the framing sequences. Um, they are illustrated by uh, Michael William Kaluta and Charles Vass. Michael William Kaluta, um, was the artist who created Madame Xanadu, which was our second. Hey, now. I know. It's a small world. It also contains the only appearance in Fables of the character who was going to originally be the big bad villain, uh, Peter Pan. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the adversary that she talks about uh -huh. was originally going to be Peter Pan, but... Um, while Peter Pan was public domain in the U.S., Peter Pan was not public domain in the U.K. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little fun. Uh, that I think that was two fun facts for the prize. I of one. love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what did you think of the way that it started? I, I sort of have my own things, but I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> impose my opinions. Well, I mean, I think it starts twice, right? And yeah. The the intro because I read the introduction, which of course is not the start, but it's the start of what you read, and I was so on board with the way he talks about story, um, and how stories. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Uh, I'm a big believer in that idea that probably every story that's ever been told, we've already heard. You know, and as a writer, then like, what's what is your challenge in storytelling, if everybody's already told all the stories, you know? And so it's perspective, and it's how, and it's the twists and the turns, and like what you do with the material that's out there, um, that is so unique. So like, I was immediately drawn into his just kind of whole concept of the world. I thought was so smart and cool, and just, I, <laughs> it's just ama um, amazing. I also think I love things like, I love linguistic things. I love oral tradition. I love the idea that these stories are passed down, that myths seem to cross countries mm -hmm. and societies and you know where they crop up and who did it first. And I think that's all fascinating. So all of that was really fascinating. But then the start start, I mean, this first picture is like, it's so Katherine Hepburn. I mean, I don't know yes. how you don't just immediately <laughs> fall in love with her. And she's amazing and very out of Africa. And yes, Lady Isabella Bird. So, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, 
I, I mean, I immediately was drawn into this idea and I tried really hard not to do research. I'm a big researcher. So it was like whenever I ran up against something, I was like, no, don't look it up. Just enjoy this version for what you know this is. So I really had to curb that impulse. Um, but the way she gets there and how she gets into it and how you immediately get brought into there's a problem, it needs to be solved, and I'm here to solve that problem. It's like a very proactive start to the opening. So I was I was super into that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I love the idea that all of the stories that have been told have some link yeah. to not only the human experience and the human emotional experience, but that they have some link to the truth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think we sort of talk about um, mythology as being this very strange, and and I include mythology, I include fables and folklore in mythology. Absolutely, as do I. Um, but the idea that, you know, yes, people were telling stories about Zeus because of nobody could explain lightning. And yes, of course, people were telling stories about Little Red Riding Hood, don't go into the woods alone because we don't know what's happening, but there may very well be a real Little Red Riding Hood who went off into the woods Absolutely. and never came back. <laughs> there are probably yeah. lots of Little Red Riding Hoods, like, to be fair. Lots of forests yeah. and lots of girls who just got curious about a butterfly and followed on in there. Don't stray from the Don't path. do it. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I love this, and I love the idea of... Um, I love the idea of stories intersecting. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe about, I think, 10 years ago, there was that sort of um, quirk books um, publishing that was like Abraham Lincoln, vamp uh, Vampire, Vampire Slayer, Hunter, yeah. Yeah, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I have that one. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the idea of saying, um, you know, well, I'm gonna take this story, but I'm gonna look at it from a 45 degree angle. Totally. And see what I can get out of it. Um, and then it kind of jumps into the real, uh, oh, I should also say for anyone who's listening, spoiler alerts abound. There is oh, no yeah. way to talk about this book without <laughs> spoiler alerts. Um, it's still a wonderful book, despite knowing some of the things that happen in it, but forewarned is forearmed. Amazing. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said that. I wasn't quite sure. I was like, should I be vague? Should I? <laughs> <laughs> now we can be as specific as possible. I, I apparently spoiled um, the sixth, the sixth sense movie without <gasps> meaning to. So. Oh no! Oh well. Um, yeah. yeah, but what are you going to do? Um, but I. So, let's sort of jump into the first one, which yeah. is the fencing lesson. Um, <gasps> And I will not lie, this is probably my favorite story in the whole bunch. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, and I will also not lie, I think <laughs> it took me three reads to realize that this was Snow White talking about Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not super bright. Just, <laughs> just lies. so we're all These clear. These are lies. Let's lower our expectations now so nobody's disappointed. <laughs> Um, but I love the idea because, you know, we always end fairy tales that happily ever after. Yeah. 
Um, and I just thought this was an amazing um, cautionary tale. Yeah. Of the different ways that um, that relationships can go go very very wrong, that happily yeah. ever after goes very very wrong. Um, did it spoil any Snow White for you, knowing that essentially the dwarves were actually um, in this? story the dwarves were actually rapists you know in some ways i think it made it make more sense <laughs> i that's probably a very pessimistic way to look at the world but i mean i am a girl and how i operate in the world is from a place of things can hurt me you know that's unfortunately that is that's the talk you have with your mom when you're little that's the talk you have you know with you know, your dad, if he's a good dad growing up and he's like, eh. um, you know, the world is a very, it can be a very tough place if you're small and vulnerable and, or you're anyone from a, in a vulnerable position for whatever reason that makes you vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, of course, there's part of you that loves the idea that she's being chased out into the woods and she finds respite, she finds refuge, she finds people who will take care of her. And I think that that story is worth telling as well, because I do think, you know, people who have to leave their families for whatever reason, they can go find their chosen family out in the world. And so I think those stories are just as important. But there was something about, I don't know, the like the true sort of danger of, but that's probably not <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. That's yeah. probably not going to be your experience. And the way that the information is laid out is so beautiful because mm. you because when you get to sort of the, you know, well, so what if a few maidens go missing every now and then? Nobody really cares. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Nobody really cares if a girl goes missing every now and then. And is that right? You know, and then by the time you get to the end and you realize what's happening, I mean, it really is. It's sort of it's cathartic and satisfying and there's something so I you know I tend to not be a real revengey person mm -hmm. I'm just I don't know why I'm just not but um, there was something about this I, I don't know why I yeah I usually am not a revenge tale person but something about this revenge tale and I think the probably the way the information came to me or came to me the as the reader not me personally mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that kind of made me nod my head and kind of go with the revenge in a sort of like I like I got it. It made sense viscerally. Mm -hmm. um, and I also appreciated that when she was talking then to um, uh, uh, what's his face after she's you know, there was something I forget where it was about kind of how we're either not that revenge is not that sweet, but revenge is not always satisfying. And so I thought it was just such a complex way to tell that. But no, it, I, I don't know. It did not ruin prop, you know, proper, <laughs> whatever proper Snow White is for me at all. Like, I think if anything, it kind of deepened what her actual journey was, like what being kicked out of your own kingdom, whatever that means, mm -hmm. happens. Because she still technically had kind of a good life. She still moved on. She had a dude who was willing to teach her defense all right that's not so bad you know it's not that everything bad happened to her but 
it, it, yeah, I don't know. Now I'm rambling, but does that make sense? <laughs> no, no. It, it, yeah, it totally makes sense. I loved the, the the idea that it wasn't something where she was asking him to take yes. revenge for her. Um, yeah, and I loved the idea. He, he has that conversation with her early on where uh, she said he says to her, "All of warfare has one proper goal. What is that?" And she says, "Victory." Oh, and right. he says, the only honorable purpose of war is to destroy your enemy's ability to make war. Do less and you risk delivering yourself into his hands. Do more and you entertain depravity. And yeah. she stops at the seven. Yeah. Um, and it's not something where you could have, you know, it could easily have been, oh, she just goes after every dwarf. Everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, she could have led the country into war, right? Yes. She had, like, it was, a, it would have been a, an easy leap actually to do so and she didn't um so i although i'm probably a little more revenge taily than you are <laughs> <laughs> um i i enjoy a good i enjoy a good revenge story um but i loved yeah i, I loved the the fact that she was not a um a passive participant in it because snow white is often entirely passive. quite passive yeah yeah yeah. Um, and I love the fact that, that um, you know, Prince Charming, who's in kind of everything from the Disney cartoon to Into the Woods, is yes. sort of portrayed as this very charming but kind of dense fellow, yeah. is actually the one who figures it out. Totally. Yeah. I thought his arc was quite nice, you mm -hmm. know? Like, uh, um, I thought it was very compassionate his arc, like on every side, like he really seemed to actually be trying to keep both country, you know, I, I'm calling them countries, I, I don't know why, as a default, both <laughs> lands, their lands, the above ground, the below land, um, uh, from sort of falling into warfare. And then he keeps, you know, and even when he sacrifices somebody else, he attempts at least to not make it a solely innocent, someone who is going to die anyway. Like there's a there's a compassion to his arc that um, that is that is nice. I think for the prince charming trope to give him a little bit more. There's a little more there there in this guy. <laughs> yeah, and there's also that very interesting conversation that the, they have at the end mm. where she says there there were things about my past that I told you I was never going to discuss. Yeah. Which is, of course, never anything that you see in traditional fairy tales. Never. Tradi you know, there's well, there's never anything to discuss in traditional fairy tales. Well, yeah. But even like traditional rom-coms, like it's always, you know, if you're my person, I have to spill my guts to you. Mm -hmm. And I kind of appreciated on both of their parts, it felt like a more mature and respectful relationship the fact that he was like okay this is clearly a thing she's got to do so we're just that that's that's it i'm gonna let her know we're gonna move on like he didn't press her for answers she didn't feel the need to weep and fall to her knees and you know get some sort of validation from him it was it was very there was something sort of clean and elegant about their interaction with each other that i really um respected i really responded to yeah, and with neither of them actually even really accusing each other. It yeah. was very much a, it, you know, the, it was, the conversation was fencing the same way that they're. Ah, so good. Yes, it was fencing. <laughs> that was smart. <laughs> I try. I, so I don't succeed, but I do try. 
Um, and uh, so also side note, um, here is where I'm going to throw in a little book fact for everyone who is doing independent bookstores. Um, Gregory Maguire, who wrote Wicked, um, the book that the musical was based on, um, his second book was called Mirror, Mirror, and it was based on Snow White. Um, and the Wicked Queen was actually Lucretia Borgia. Nice. It's, it's, I will say this. It's a good book. <laughs> it's not a great book. Okay. But I don't feel like I wasted my time reading it. Excellent. So just gonna th I'm going to throw out some some bookstore some book stories in there while we're doing it because some book facts for a rainy sunday <laughs> absolutely everybody needs a little comics everybody needs a little prose in their novel uh in their in their life um so let's move on to the second tale which uh -huh. i found very sweet and very lovely and sort of a nice palate cleanser after the, <laughs> after the fairly cynical first the story seven rapist um, dwarfs yes yes um the Christmas pies. Which oh, so the sweet. Christmas pies. Yes. Um, now, this is a very lovely story, um, kind of a cross between this sort of Aesop's fables, the foxes yeah. that are always in Aesop's fables. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and then Reynard the fox who appears in, um, uh, I think started in really French fairy tales. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of, uh, in northern France, I believe, and then went to France, Germany. I want it. And, side side uh, note: I want Mark Buckingham to illustrate like my nursery. Should I ever have need of one? <laughs> like they're so gorgeous, these animals. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Um, it's hard, you know. It's one of those things where you want to go. This is very clearly. Um, this is sort of the, to me, this is kind of the most clear Disney-esque story. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was the only one who was feeling that way. No, um, agreed. And it's it's very much, it's the fox fooling the goblins and allowing the animals, the talking animals to escape. There's a lot of talking animals in our, in our lives, aren't there? There are a lot, and, and particularly in this one. Um, um, yeah. They're sort of everywhere in fairy tales, and good for them. <laughs> um, you know, some some days it's not hard to think that animals are much smarter than people. Um, but yeah, but I also loved. I, I think the thing that I loved most about this is that it was not done. The fooling of the goblins um, was not done out of the kindness of the fox's heart. No. Yes. That he. Yeah. That he was sly from the beginning, and he was sly to the end regardless yes um and actually i think I, now you will probably know this better than i will because you're an actor um isn't volpone because volpone is a is a play right i don't know this play okay i think this is a renaissance play um, it, i mean it sounds like a renaissance play <laughs> and i believe um the character of Volpone is sort of based on on Reynard the Fox. Oh. So for actors out there, shoot us a tweet at uh, the at the superhero podcast um, and let me know. Yeah. Well read I guess I could actors. Always it. Yeah. <laughs> All of the actors who are listening, um, so that way we know. But yeah, this is this I he very deliberately sort of 
places all of these tales, um, I think, exactly where they need to be. Yeah. Um, okay. This was the hardest one for me to get through. The next one, which is oh. the frog's eye view. I'm sorry. Oh. I should have. I, this is rude of me. I should have asked. Did you want to talk any more about the Christmas ties? Oh, no, just it's, I mean, it's lovely, it's sweet, but it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is very Aesopian, and um, I like this peacock very much. But yeah, no, <laughs> I'm all good with Christmas pies, because we do have, you know, a thousand and one nights of fables, so. Yes, <laughs> we do have a thousand and one nights of fables. Um, I loved the next one, A Frog's Eye View, which is, of course, the Frog Prince, or mm -hmm. as he's known in the later Fables series, Flycatcher. We'll talk about the later Fable series in a little bit. But um, so I loved it. But man, it was hard to get through. This poor guy, the poor Frog Prince. That was sad. It I was... hate the idea of him just wandering around memoryless. I have a very strong reaction to. Um, people who lose their lose their memories, lose their mind, that 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 type of deterioration um, hits me very hard. So I, I really had a hard time with the poor thing just wandering around forever, not being able to remember his family. Broke my uh, heart. It, so the the short version of the story is the frog prince, um, whenever he gets nervous or frightened, turns back into a frog. Um, so at times of his life and anxiety, right. he's never really cured of that um, and sort of always needs that. Um, uh, the re-kiss. The, the re-kiss, <laughs> um, the calming influence. So um, yeah, so he turns into the frog at the time when his land is invaded. Um, and he's all dressed in his armor and he's going there to protect his family and he just has his moment of anxiety where he turns into a frog. So he is literally the only one in his family to survive. Um, and yeah, it's rough. It's, it's beautiful. Rough. It's I mean, gorgeous. The art is stunning. Uh, who did the art for that? Who did it mean? Because it is a particularly beautiful one. It in, was. That, in that it's oh, all it James slight, Sheen. James Sheen. It's all slightly green the whole time, which is mm -hmm. clever. Yes. I, I will say that his wife is very much that traditional princess yeah. who is always kind and always patient. Um, you know, his children are, are very much the... Uh, loving. Um, yes, it's a very loving, very beautiful family. Um, but this is kind of, um, you know, it's interesting that you see as the stories go on, more and more of the invaders coming into this land of fairy tale yeah um, and turning the happily ever after quite wrong yeah um, and this this i think is the first time they start to overlap right because this is the mirror mirror he's asking the mirror at the end and so i think this is the first one where you start to see the fairy tales or elements in the fairy tales overlapping from or threading through other people's stories which was very, very, again, keep using the word satisfying, but it's very satisfying you get to the end. And even though it's unbelievably sad, him talking to the mirror, you're like, oh, I know that. <laughs> um, it's interesting because the thing that I found interesting, and I'm sort of half 
this is one of those half-baked thoughts in my brain, but it's interesting that for fables, mm -hmm. the sanctuary world is the real world. Whereas yeah. for the rest of us, you know, sanctuary would be the fairy tale where because we don't conceive that anything happens after ever happily ever after. Ever after. Nothing yeah. bad ever happens. Nope. You know, I think we just proved that with my um, with the uh, the witches video or the witches comic corner that we did oh, yeah. last, <laughs> last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah that was a whole it's, it's been very fairy tale heavy this season right. of Comic Corner. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Well, we are now in October, so it's sort of that time of like tradition and folklore and what have you when you get start to get fallish and yes, yeah, yes. I, this is this is actually a good book to curl up with when you like a little bit of thriller, a little bit of scary, <laughs> but not too, not to go full on horror. Not too much. Not too much. Still, it's, it's still tea and toast horror. <laughs> yes. Um, Although I could, I could and have made the argument that all fairy tales are horror tales um, yeah. on one level or another. Um, I'm not sure that that's the exact argument I'd make for this, but I'm going to just put that out into the universe and we'll discuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and again, it, although I love the other two, I'm still going to throw my... Throw my um, my favorite story so far to the fencing lessons, the fencing which is lessons. the first, the first in a white one. Um, <sighs> now here's where we sort of go into this weird morally gray area with the runt, which is oh, yeah. the, um, the sort of origin story of the big bad wolf, mm -hmm. um, which really kind of turns everything on its head. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, so what was your feeling about this sort of origin story because we don't normally you know we don't give the bad guys in fairy tales any kind of history we only know that the good people are good and sweet and lovely and perfect children <laughs> yeah. no i i get this was like for me this is the dissemination of information um is similar to the fencing lesson in that you start to put the pieces together as you go you know, whereas like with the, the the frog prince one, you see it's a princess with a frog on, you know, page one. And with this one, you know, you really you're following the story of this little this little runt wolf that's, you know, bullied by its brothers. Um, and you're just kind of like wondering what's going to happen. And you you spend so much time getting on his side. Um, I have a particular soft spot for runts. I had a tiny kitten named Runt who was the runt of the litter when I was little. That was, I think, my first personal kitten as a child. Um, and so I loved him and I was so excited. Like, and when he decided that he was gonna like, I'll show everybody, I'll get big and strong and what, you know, I think we naturally get behind people who are people. I know he's a puppy, but <laughs> puppy wolf. Um, <laughs> but um, we get behind people who sort of are like, I'm going to take my fate into my own hands and I'm going to do whatever I can with the cards that were dealt to me. And, you know, it's very easy to get, you know, behind that story. And then by the time he's eating the pigs and blowing the house down and eating Red Riding Hood and <laughs> all the things you're like, oh, right. And then you get to this wonderful frame, which is both 
just awful and wonderful at the same time when you know the 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 princess lady is like oh great you've come to rescue me from the dragon oh, and he's yeah. like um actually i'm starving and i don't eat dragon and you're like dude <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's I, again it's, it's a yeah it's a dangerous place for princesses <laughs> the world is dangerous <laughs> um yeah so I, I i kind of love the moral ambiguity of getting us on his side before we start to see what that turns him into you know mm -hmm. it's beautifully done and really well laid out i thought yeah it's um it would almost be one of those things where um this actually this actually to me is probably the closest thing in this book to a revenge story yeah um, definitely because you love yeah you do love the um you do love him until you realize that his goal it, it, you know how he's going to get to show everybody how cool and awesome he is is by killing people is the murder killing everything <laughs> and you're like just stone cold ted buddying the fable town <laughs> yeah um and I, although i do love the the fact that um uh after the uh who was it was it the woodsman he rescued uh little red yeah, the wood, uh, the woodsman I, who put the, the stones in his belly. He put the stones yeah. in his belly. I love the fact that after that, he's like, "Yep, I'm only going to kill humans from now on." Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, and still at the end, he sort of really doesn't get his revenge, does he? Mm -mm. Not because really. He gets sent away by his father time and time and time again. Yeah. Um, and then he just decides, okay, I'm I'm just going to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I do love the idea that he rethinks his objective. <laughs> and now, I mean, now granted, it's because he he failed continually. And how do you you can't kill the wind? Which I again I think is kind of a fascinating concept. How do you get revenge on mm -hmm. the wind, an element? Um, but I also think that there's something really beautiful. And he's like, okay, I have this plan. This plan is clearly not going to work for me. So I'm going to give myself another objective. It's going to be to grieve. It's going to be to move on. It's going to be to do all these other things. And so there, again, like the twists at the end of all of these, they're so, there's such a light touch to the twists, but mm -hmm. they, I always think are so um, potent really. Yeah. And, and, and lovely. And like a, just a touch practical, like you get just a touch of like, well, you can't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I real I love that. I love that bit and that like second to last frame where he's like, oh, well, I guess I have to change my objective now. <laughs> yeah. Now the thing that I find sort of fascinating um, about about this is that um, here's kind of the main. Here's the main character. Here's the one you. Here's your your protagonist. Here's the one you identify with. Here's the one that you find fascinating. And then at the end, you, you get to it and you're like, oh, you really can't kill the big, the big bad wolf. Yeah. There's always going to be a big bad wolf yeah. of some sort, um, which I find, you know, fascinating because in the original fairy tales, you know, you always, you know, good always triumphs, bad always defeated, and it, it 
killed or murdered or made to wear iron shoes and dance in front of the fire or it's buried or, or something. Um, and there's very few, um, I mean, in case anyone is interested, if you read the original Grimm's fairy tales, they are nothing like Disney. So just prepare yourself. Fair warning. Of, yeah. Prepare yourself for a lot of murder, a lot of blood, a lot of, a lot of children who aren't bright enough to make it out of the woods on their own. Just don't get too attached to anyone <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love, I love the fact that, you know, this is, um, I think probably kind of the most traditional fairy tale and it's, it's mm -hmm. a cautionary tale. Um, but it does give you that little kind of kick at the end. That's like, no, yeah. no, no, not everybody's going to make it out of this story. <laughs> But see, that's a good question, John. I, now, I have a question for you now. So, as a writer, as an excellent, beautiful, wonderful writer. Oh, well, um, So uh, do you, like in terms of structuring your stories, do you, do you feel um, a need or a responsibility to follow traditional story structure or to give people catharsis? Or do you feel... Like, no, maybe every once in a while you need to give them the touch of reality and give the, you know, not everything quite gets to happen. You know, how do you how do you resolve that for yourself in terms of expectation and responsibility versus um, maybe what you kind of lean towards in, in terms of pathos and reality? <laughs> um, I try to figure out, the first thing you do is figure out what the actual story is. What do I want to tell? Where do I want to end up? And then I fig try to figure out the most interesting way for me to get there. And yeah. that's not always the most traditional. Um, Matthew and Kelly, um, especially the last couple of stories, the last couple of scripts that I have sent them, um, they were like, well, but you already finished the story. And I was like, I know, but there's really good dialogue on this last couple of pages. And they're like, <laughs> Yes, but it's unnecessary dialogue. So if you <laughs> want to cut it and move it into, you know, the first 20 pages, you can. But other than that, um, but I don't, um, oh, this is going to make me sound like a horrible person. Um, yes. I sort of feel like the responsibility of a storyteller, um, maybe a contemporary storyteller, mm -hmm. um, is to try to tell not as realistic a story as possible, but a story with people who are as realistic as possible. Um, because you can't, you know, obviously, yeah. we don't live in a world where princesses come from, you know, magical islands, um, but- I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> I, that's true, that's true. Um, I would love to come from that world. I'm telling you, the minute I win Lotto, I'm just buying an island, I'm replicating Themyscira on it. <laughs> No phones, no internet, just Just all living. ponies, all swords. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I think, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but, you know, human, our, our human experience is, is so universal, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. But if you look at European fairy tales, if you look at, um, Asian fairy tales, if you look at African fairy tales, if you look at Native American fairy tales, they're all very similar. They're all very yeah. much about this journey. 
Um, and so I don't necessarily feel a responsibility to try to make something affecting or try to make something, you know, um, uh, um, sort of twisty or anything like that. But I try to tell a story that gets a point, some sort of emotions, some sort yeah. of um, experience to people. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I'm sort of of the opinion that all stories are love stories. You know, we think of love stories as romantic, but sometimes a love story is between a parent and a child. And sometimes a love story is between two best friends and sometimes a love story is between siblings. Um, but I think all stories are sort of love stories because it's the one thing we can't really explain. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, how do you explain, you know, you can explain angry to a child, you can explain sad to a child, you can explain um, friendship to a child, but you can't really explain love. It's just such this, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, love, love is such an interesting emotion because, and there's a whole conversation to be had about what I'm about to say, but in some ways it's the only emotion you can't experience all alone, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and again, I think that there's an argument to be made on both sides of uh, that very strong statement I just made. But in some, you know, comes, of course, there's unrequited love, and of course, you can't, you know. Um, but it, it, and there's self-love, and you know, all of mm -hmm. that stuff. But in terms of like explaining it in, as, in an esoteric way, it's something that it's difficult to to explain without experience, um, yeah. and. And so, it, you know, like Old Yeller, love story, but with a dog. <laughs> you know, all of these different stories are just explaining how we find that um, connection. Whatever, you know, if, if love is the word you use for that connection to the earth, to a pet, to a parent, to, you know, whatever that is. And, um, oh, yeah, that's lovely, John. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, now, there's actually... I, I, it, I'm going to circle back to fables with that very wonderful subway with a mother's love, which is the next tale, oh my which gosh. is also kind of the very sweetest um, uh, tale in the book, which is a very short story. It's literally what one, yeah. two, it's three pages long. Um, but what's fascinating about this is this is the only one that I can't really track to a fairy tale. Hmm. Um, he said that, uh, he being Bill Willingham. I said this as if we're friends. Um, <laughs> you know Bill. You know Bill. You know Bill. We hang out all the time. That um, but guy. He was, <laughs> but he was saying, oh, well, it's sort of Watership Down, which I'm like, okay, I can understand yeah. that's a fairy tale. Um, Watership Down, by the way, not a fairy tale that you should ever show that movie to a child. Terrifying. Just, <laughs> just to, to be aware. A whole lot of bunny on bunny violence. So much. Yeah. So just well, gonna, And yeah. speaking of, I when I flipped the page to here, I didn't even get to read the title of A Mother's Love because the first thing I saw was like laser bunny. Yep. <laughs> and I lost my mind. So I had to go back from there. <laughs> I was fully drawn to the laser bunny panel. <laughs> Everybody loves a good laser bunny. So um, good. But I will say what I loved about this one is we are so, humans are so the center of the universe to mm -hmm. ourselves, 
right? And I love that this was flipped on its head, that it was this human trying to get hairs to love him, you mm -hmm. know? And so as opposed to like the frog prince, right, where he's always trying to be human, trying to be human, trying to be human. I love that moment of trying to stop being human, stop being human, stop being human. So I love the flip on that. Um, it, you know, it made me feel very small as a human in a good way. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we think that we are the only, we are, we are not the only animal species to mate for life. Just right. So everybody knows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a whole lot out there. Now, this brings us. think we're the gold us, standard. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't want to rush us, but I want to get yeah. to this one in particular. Oh, yeah. Um, because after the fencing lesson, this is probably my favorite one, which is Diaspora. This is a um, really good which one. Which I think I just butchered that pronunciation, and I apologize for that. Um, diaspora? Is that a good Diaspora, I think. Diaspora, okay. But I, I'm often wrong, <laughs> and wrong often. That's just what we're going to go with. All right. Um, which is <laughs> a Diaspora, okay. Wait. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> um, uh, which is The Witch's Tale. Yeah. Um, now... The uh, spoiler alert: If you haven't read Fables yet, but the reason that she it, the, in in Fables she is called Frau Tottenkinder. Um, so I love it. I just think of her as Frau Tottenkinder. But this <laughs> is the witch's tale, and this is actually the most uh, after the fencing lesson. This is the one that I love um, because it does a couple of different things. Um, poor Rose Red always just gets lost in the, um, you know, the shuffle. I was so glad to see her sister. show up. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was like, because she got a mention early on and then she actually gets to show up with like a, like a very intense bang. It's like, it's really good. <laughs> she does, she does have a very nice, it's, it's, it's like a Louise Brooks bob, but totally. you know, very long, yeah. got her hair out of place. Love it. Um, but this is very much Rose Red in the original story too, where she is the one when they answer the knock on the door and it's the bear, Rose Red invites the bear in. And yeah. um, and let's just let's just take a second to go over the, the original tale of Rose Snow White and Rose Red. So oh, yeah. Snow White and Rose Red live in a cabin in the woods with their widowed mother. Um, always perfect, always wonderful, always lovely. One day there's a knock on the door. No mention of where the mother is, by the way, neglectful parenting. But um, <laughs> there's a knock on the door and it's a bear. And the bear's like, like oh, it's do. so cold. Can I come stay by the fire? So Snow White's very terrified, but Rose Red invites him in. Um, the bear comes back every night during the winter, hangs out with them. And then in the spring, he's like, yo, peace out. I got to go watch over my, um, my fortune, but I'll be back. Catch you later. <laughs> Uh, TTYL, um, <laughs> all that bears gold somewhere. All that bears gold somewhere, and then um, they, Snow White and Rose Red, during the summer, they miss their bear, but they're outside playing. They meet a grumpy dwarf who they do all these nice things for, who's <laughs> always mean to them, and never does anything. And then um, the bear comes back. The dwarf is like, "Don't eat me. Eat the two little girls over there." And the bear's like, <laughs> "No way. They're my friends." The bear kills the dwarf and then turns into a prince. And who does he marry? Snow White. After Rose Red is the one who invites him in. What's up with that? I'm telling you, Rose Red, short shrift, that one. I know, I feel so bad for her. Um, but she is the one who 
um, opens up the the oven yeah. <laughs> um, after Frau Schottenkinder is placed there by the evil children Hansel and Gretel. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like, hey, you have to come with us because we're escaping the the uh, the adversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it launches into Frau Tottenkinder's whole story, which um, which I I really loved. Um, yeah, it's incredibly creepy and depressing, but it's also one of those stories that, in addition to bringing in a whole bunch of other um, fairy tales, Three Billy Goats Gruff and Beauty and the Beast and mm-hmm. um, Rapunzel. Um, it's also a real sort of indictment of the fact that fairy tales are almost very much based on a sort of matriarchal society, and yeah. yet they were stories told in a patriarchal society. Yeah, agreed. Um, which is very strange to me, um, because I think, you know, it's sort of always fascinating to me, and I don't know why, and I, I you know, I, I don't know if this is something that is probably a completely different conversation to be had, <laughs> but I'm sort of always fascinated at the idea of, of in every sort of ancient story from Greek mythology to Norse mythology to, you know, kind of, I mean, really sort of almost any mythology you can think of is why the hell are men so afraid of a powerful woman? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the things I was thinking, even just with the not into the fables, but with um, Snow White trying to tell the fables to save her own life night after night, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because his story is one that, like, I think it's, it's that Margaret Atwood quote that, you know, men are afraid that women will humiliate them and women are afraid that men will kill them. (laughs) And somehow those two thoughts are equal. Um, But it is very much, you know, there, there is a, and, and, and I would say that that theme runs through, like runs through this book, which is kind of fascinating. And that it, that there are constantly these places where, um, um, where you are dealing with men saving the, like whether it's in this one where men are trying to save their reputations and so they have to, so, you know, whatever. And then she's cast out because she was pregnant and with his child and he didn't want to be embarrassed. And there's that, you know, it's just constantly that sense of, and even as much as I so appreciate what Prince Charming did in the beginning (laughs) to hide (laughs) his wife's seven murders, (laughs) um, there's still that sense of like, um, covering up and saving your own reputation. And, um, and then, you know, and then the overarching story of betting a virgin every night and killing her in the morning. But that is an extreme way to save face when you feel you have been cuckolded. Um, and I think he actually uses the word cuckolded at some point. Um, so I, I, I think you're hit, I think you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of these stories seem so female focused, but the way that they're warning women is sort of like, be careful. If mm-hmm. you embarrass someone, 
you will pay for it with your life. And it's a pretty hefty price to pay for, you know, being the one who gets left out of the tango after it takes two to tango. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's sort of fascinating. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, well, I mean, if you compare the, you know, the, the Sultan's story in this or in A Thousand and One Nights, you know, the, the wife, uh, you know, cuckolds him. And so what does he do? <clears throat> he has her killed, you know, and yet, <laughs> and yet when Jason does that to Medea, well, what does she do? Well, she kills his, she leaves him alive so that he can suffer. And she just mm -hmm. decides to kill his children. And I, I, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a whole lot that goes on in this, but there's so a much. yes. It's it. I'm 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 continually fascinated by the. Um, I'm continually fascinated by the idea of, you know, well, good girls don't go into the woods alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet adventurous young men go into the woods alone and win fortune and fame. Right. Um, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. We get rape um, and death. <laughs> they yeah. get fortune and fame. Sure. I Well, you know, let's, um, when you come, if you want to come back for another comics corner, let's just talk about, um, <clears throat> let's talk about um, female versus male heroine, male, male hero, female oh. versus male heroes, and just have a whole conversation about. Um, oh my gosh. We're gonna need a lot of whiskey, John. I know. Um, I'm I'm hoping that Josh cuts out the fact that I'm just I'm literally now just pointing out misogyny everywhere. So <laughs> let's hope that Josh. All right. Um, so the last couple of stories um, are really kind of the palate cleansers to sort of end. Um, I don't necessarily want to say on end on an upbeat note, mm -hmm. but I'm fascinated by the fact that it does bring in. You know, we really sort of start with the human, um, the human fairy tales, mm -hmm. and then we kind of bring in a little bit of everybody and the sort of, you know, the fairy tales that couldn't necessarily blend in well in yeah in the the mundane world as they the, call it the island of misfit fairy tales yeah <laughs> um, oh I love the if we're talking about that I love the dish and the spoon. This idea, this made me so happy, this sentence. They're like, and since Mr. Dish and Miss Spoon take their nourishment from what's eaten off them rather than what they eat, we'll use them to serve up the share for one with a larger appetite. I don't know why, but that idea <laughs> that they get fed by feeding other people, there was just, so, it's so lovely. I was like, what a wonderful sentence. <laughs> yes, well, it's interesting in that sort of um, the inanimate object version of what old King Cole does in the story. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do without. I'll do without. Yeah. Um, and of course, it, this kind of heartbreaking moment at the end of that story when he, you know, has to send all of the animals that that he fought so hard to save and who yeah. fought so hard to save him, um, you know, you know, it's one of those things where it's like heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Oh, it's just awful. Yeah. And then we kind of, and then we go into our wrap up. We go into the end of the framing um, story, which is um, 
Shahrazad. Shahrazad, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, actually, that was another little twist. I was convinced that Snow White was just Shahrazad. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I loved it. And I loved this, the fact that um, there was still this sort of um, uh, mistrust kind of between the East and the West, where the Western fairy tales are like, help. And the Eastern fairy tales are like, mm, no, <laughs> I'll give you some stuff, but you guys are still on your own. So yeah. go for it. I feel like that's a whole other episode, like because there's hints of sort of like colonization and age of imperialism kind of running all the way through this that I'm like, I think that's another three hours we could spend. <laughs> yeah, there is. And, so, and some of that, I think, is just bound by the fact that you are telling stories with these specific characters and yeah. where you can't. You know, you can't escape misogyny and racism and colonialism when you're telling a story like it would, you know, it, it's like trying to talk about Native Americans without sort of going, by the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. sorry about the genocide and the smallpox, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know. It's like, mm, not sure, just saying I'm sorry is going to make up for it, but it's at least really we're really going to do with it. Time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so here's the part where I ask the question, which was Fables, A Thousand and White Nights of Snowfall. Did I recommend good or did I miss the mark? You recommended amazing. I think, I don't know that you could have picked something better for me, if I'm being perfectly honest. Because I almost told you at my very first Comic-Con, I actually got an, uh, an illustrated comic book version of Aesop's Fables. That was one of my like, oh. you know, indie booth purchases that I really, really loved. Um, and even in my own work as a writer, um, I often like to go back to things that we think we know. You know, I have one play that has Lolita in it. Um, uh, Salome and Helen of Troy are all in it um, and going kind of through their experiences together. So it's something that I love to explore in my own writing. And the fact that you just came up with this off our little email exchange, I was like, this guy is intuitive. <laughs> I This was the one that I was most worried about um, just because I thought to myself, it's a lot of the other things that we talked about, which were, um, you know, uh, Thor and, um, oh gosh, what else was there? Like Kingdom Come, there were things that mm -hmm, were, mm -hmm. are wonderful stories, but were very sort of continuity heavy, but they're yeah. wonderful overarching stories. This I thought, oh, can I get away with just a framing device and then a bunch of short stories? <laughs> so I was worried. I love it. I loved it. I also love seeing um, all the different artistry. I mean, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's visual. If you flip through it and don't read a word, it is absolutely visually stunning. And to see all the different interpretations, especially because Snow White keeps showing up um, in different artists' hands, it's, you know, it's just lovely to see how that's done. But I am a big fan of things that are tied together if not um, plot-wise, thematically, or if there's sort of an emotional plot. And to me, that's what this did so well, 
is it gave you an emotional plot to follow all the way through. So I didn't feel robbed of like having a, a broad story by any stretch of the imagination. Like it, it, it fulfilled all of those needs and then some. Um, it's gorgeous. It's such a good recommendation. I loved it. I am so glad. Um, <laughs> so again, it's Fables, A Thousand and One Nights of Snowfall. Oh, side note, by the way, um, book you might be interested in reading. Um, it is called The Real Lolita by Sarah mm. Weinman. Mm -hmm. And it is actually, um, do you, have you read it? Yeah. Okay. So good. <laughs> stay, on, stay on after a few minutes cause, so we can talk about it. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, I can't help but recommend books. I think it's a sickness. <laughs> Something's wrong with me. Um, but anyway, okay. So the book is Fables, A Thousand and One Nights of Snowfall, written by Bill Willingham, illustrations by everybody, Tara McPherson, Jill Thompson, Charles Vass, Mark Wheatley, James Jean, uh, John Bolton, Brian Boland, um, lots of lots and lots of people. Um, the art is wonderful. Um, if it's something that you want to pick up, please, please, please go to your local comic shop. Um, if you like it, there is an entire Fables run of, I think it's 15 or something like that, 15 or 20 graphic novels for you. Um, but you can always ask your uh, local comic book seller um, what they recommend. Um, thank you, Liz, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Anytime you want to come back, we'll, we'll you know, I always enjoy finding, you know, I don't recommend, actually, strangely enough, I've only recommended one superhero story that we've, we've done in Comics Corner. Everything else has not been superhero at all. Um, <laughs> If you are interested in taking part in John's Comic Corner as part of our behind the scenes um, stuff here at Don't Sue Us, please, uh, please do consider becoming a Patreon um, for $5 a month. Um, you get to chat with me, I recommend some books, and then we sit down and have a conversation about it and you tell me what I got right and what I got wrong. Um, follow us on all social media at The Superhero Podcast. Um, and in the meantime, ears open, buds in, and don't sue us, please.